0: Okay, which probably take up more bandwidth, but all right. So we're here with David Roswell. Uh, We're doing our uh, podcast about Google Shopping. We're one week delayed because we had some technical difficulties, but this time we're going to work it out. Um, So David is joining us from the UK. Where my only explanation is the bandwidth is really poor in the UK. So that any issues we have, we'll blame on on the government over there. Like a true American, I blame (laughs) things on the British government. Um, So just to get started, David, uh, first of all, appreciate coming on. Um, Wanted to just give you the floor a little bit to give us a little bit of your background, um, you know, how you got into the PPC space, how you became this Google shopping expert, and just tell tell us a little bit more about yourself.
1: Okay, the story. So I'm actually a former European Information Services Manager. So I had a career in Uh, IT and technology and telecoms, which I'd had for, like, a couple of decades. And um, then in 2001, the dot-com crash hit and layoffs everywhere. And there were hundreds of people going after every IT job going at that point in time. And uh, so I was experienced and expensive and so really couldn't get back into full-time corporate IT employment. So I um I, I tried that for a while and then realised it wasn't going very far. So I then took the uh, I had it forced on me really into becoming a, a freelance consultant type situation. So I thought, okay, I'll I'll offer my IT and uh, telecoms support and consulting and uh, what have you uh, to people in my local area and uh, see if I can get some income from it because uh, when nine eleven came after the. Uh, you know, the, the 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 layoff, then it was just crazy trying to think about getting back into IT, you know, in the corporate world. So right. I um, put up a website and fiddled with SEO. This is back in 2002 and uh, got some people coming to it and got a bit of work out of it and did some promotional stuff. Then I discovered AdWords uh, a bit by accident, really, in 2003. I can't even remember how I learned about it. But I opened my first account in 2003, late on, and started playing with it. And... It was weird, new different i couldn 't really figure it out and um, there were in terms of cost it was uh, it was interesting because in one respect it was dirt cheap and in another it was it was quite expensive um, the click costs back in two thousand and three, as you might imagine, were uh, some of them for what are now pretty pricey keywords are ridiculously cheap and i I, I could go back into my old accounts and show you those at two and three cents a click and stuff like that um, but the weird thing was that um, at the time, Google had this rule of if you didn't get a particular click through rate on your ads, I can't remember what the threshold was, like 0.5 percent or something like that. They would disapprove your ad. So my ads sh- showed up and I was thrilled to bits to see my ads showing up for my thing on the first page of Google search results. I'm like amazed. Right. And it's taken months to get anything showing up in inorganic. And, um, and, and as fast as they came up and showed and I was like, wow, this is great. They were going up going away again. And I couldn't figure out why. And so, Google then, here in the UK at least, I don't know whether they did it in the US, but they charged five pounds to re enable your ads.
0: <laughs> well, that's a conflict of interest. I'd say.
1: Yeah. So, wow. I, so, I paid them the money several times to get my ads showing again. And then they still, of course, went disproved because I couldn't figure out the thing about click through rate because I was still figuring the thing out. And um, right. so, I gave up on it for a while. And, uh, Put it aside. And then um, about a year later, uh, I realize how imp- critically important Google address is going to be because here you are. You've got your ads showing up instantly, more or less, uh, where you need them to be. And so you've just got to make that work somehow and, and figure it out. So um, I always say that in two- late 2004, um, Perry Marshall found me because I wasn't looking for him because I'd never heard of him. So I must have seen some, you know, one of his ads somewhere or other, and um, he was advertising his uh, definitive guide ebook. And so I got that. And it was extremely good. It's like an engineering um, handbook. And um, he's an engineer. I'm an engineer. It all started to make more sense. And I got into it, started to find it, find it very, um, very fascinating. And uh, with lots of nooks and crannies and things to explore. And this was even back then, maybe 11 years ago, 2004. Uh, it's way, right. way <laughs> more than that now.
0: Let me just ask you, um, so what was the website, just so I can get the, the narrative right in my head, what was the website you were promoting back then?
1: Oh, um, my um, IT and telecoms uh, support side, which doesn't exist any longer because I moved on from it, uh, you know, a long time after that. But it was basically just I was buying keywords on the kinds of things that people were looking for in terms of telecom services and, and network services, you know, lease lines and uh, 0800 numbers and stuff like that, because um, i would got suppliers that could, could, you know, could supply all that. Um, I just had to get found and get people to, you know, to 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 get to me, and um, that was the thing I struggled with. So, like I say, in two thousand and four, when I got Perry's thing, um, then it all started to make a lot more sense, and I then started to find that I was getting a lot better at it and getting better results. And being a service-minded person, a support-minded person, rather than go off and sell clickbank clickbank stuff or uh, affiliate you know, promotional offers and stuff like that, I decided to sell my services. So I kind of set myself up as the, you know, the AdWords PPC consultant, started advertising and uh, got my first client who was a lady in real estate in Houston. My first client in 2005, early on. Nice. Uh, I also sat the uh, the uh, certification, so I could say I was a certified professional and all of that. And, um, and then it really just went on from there for several years, acquiring clients, and uh, doing more and learning more and, and so on and so forth uh, and then and, sort of um, fast track. yeah
0: well sorry before you go there I'm just curious for you know so people who watch this or listen to it are sometimes uh, people who are kind of doing PPC on the side or thinking about starting mm. an agency so um, was yes. this your full-time job at the time or were you working and kind of moonlighting as a, an agency
1: I was at that time I was doing all manner of stuff, and the, the PPC agency thing was kind of accidental. Um, I realized I was going to go after it and get more clients, so I got a, a client center very early on. And in those days, again, the barrier to that was quite high because you had to have a certain amount of spend and a certain amount of time and stuff like that. I mean, right. they give all this stuff away now completely differently. Uh, it was kind of stricter back then. So um, I knew I was going somewhere with it as an agency, but you're right, I was doing a lot of other things as well. So uh, it didn't become a full-time job probably until um, 07, something like that, maybe 2007. And I just was doing... Was that, that because, then.
0: was that because you had enough clients at that point? Or what, what made you change from where you were to a full-time job?
1: I realized that my former career, uh, you know, the IT thing and the IT management thing and what have you, was... um pretty much effectively dead. So um, I had to, and you were, you you ran the risk of being on, I'd become unemployable back in 2002. I was unemployable in the industry that I'd spent decades in because I was too old, too expensive, too experienced and so forth. And there were hundreds of people running after the same jobs. But what I realized about the PPC thing is this is something, if you crack marketing, if you, you know, First of all, you've got to have a good offer, a good service, a good product, whatever. But then it's really all about the marketing. It's about the messaging. It's about getting found where people are looking. And this was absolutely you know, all about Google AdWords. And there was not going to be anything better than that uh, come along. And so I thought, well, this is absolutely the way of the future. You've got to be able to do this. And everybody is, who's trying to sell their stuff online has got to either be able to do it themselves or have somebody do it for them.
0: Right. And you and you bootstrapped it. I mean, you just uh, yeah. your own bank account and paid the expenses till you got enough clients to pay the bills.
1: Yeah, totally bootstrapped it. I've not taken a penny in, you know, investment or loans or funding or anything like that. It's entirely out of my own sweat equity, if you like, my time. I mean, we didn't have very much money to invest in it really back then um, because of, you know, being laid off and everything. Uh, initially, when that was the situation, um, my wife, who's a teacher, um, had voluntarily stopped work because we had our first child um but then when my redundancy hit then i mean she was happy to go back to it but that was necessary but uh you know we were scrambling for whatever we could get from wherever we could get it
0: nice and then uh and then thus created a career as a i mean running yeah. an agency and would you describe it i mean and so just your website is rothwellmedia.com yes so for folks who are looking for an agency that does uh what David specializes in. I mean, do you only take Google Shopping or do you you take all kinds of AdWords stuff?
1: This is a a very interesting area. Um, And how you can break this out is into uh, two or three different areas. So you've basically got a separation between lead gen advertising, which is typically B2B business-to-business type stuff, and they're selling their services. uh, And that's one area of the industry your marketplace excuse me and then you've got and you've got two different flavors of that and um, one of those is if you're a lead broker and you sell leads then you know the value of them so that's actually easier to work with because you know the money that you can get by selling the leads Um, the other the worst kind of marketing that I mostly tend to avoid like the plague these days is what I call self-fulfilling lead generation which is basically you're the service owner the service supplier you're paying the click costs and you are turning those leads into your own business. And most lead gen businesses in that game don't know their numbers and it's all disconnected and they don't know how long it takes to get the work and when money changes hands and how much money changes hands and what they spent to get it. So it's just, it's just really difficult to work with. So um, back in, uh, so then you get the the e-commerce side of things. And um, so you've got the physical and um, physical and digital side of things, and um, physical products are very specific to the whole uh, shopping situation. Digital products is still e-commerce, and you can still run you know search campaigns for those. But shopping is absolutely unique to the whole physical side of things. Things with barcodes and MPNs and brands and model numbers and stuff like that. Um, Back in 2008, October 2008, I think it was, um, 100 agencies in Europe, uh, I was one of them, were chosen by Google to go to their latest um, conference in Europe HQ in Dublin, Ireland. So they flew us all out there from all over Europe and put us up for uh, an evening, (coughs) excuse me, and had us at this conference. And um, they talked about a number of things. Uh, Mobile was one of them, interestingly enough, even back then, but the really more interesting one was uh, they'd uh, they'd relaunched um, what had started off as google base which then uh, changed into frugal Um, they then relaunched frugal as merchant center so now we were they were showing us screenshots of things they were doing with merchant center with these plus boxes and images and all manner of things on that nobody had ever seen before and um, so this was an entirely new way of showing your stuff off and, and totally specific and totally unique to e-commerce merchants. So this was very interesting. And we started getting involved, um, me and some other people who were working together back then uh, in 2009, we started getting involved in the shopping results and the product listing ads and those things. and. As we know, they started off free, but anybody with half a brain could see that Google was going to figure out how to charge people for it eventually if it got going, as it was inevitable to do. Right. So, um, and yet everyone um, still
0: acts very surprised when that happened.
1: Oh, I guess, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. i was on. like, come on! It's, if if Google knows it's and and it were, I'm with Google things. I I usually tend to see both sides of the coin. People say Google are the bad guys. Uh, you know, on the one hand and, and yet the the good guys on the other, some people are completely opinionated that they're just evil and the bad guys and all the rest of it. There's usually very sound reasons for doing what they do, and they usually kill at least two birds with one stone or several birds with one stone in what they do. They're very, very smart people. And so what they did was they hit people in the wallet because these listings that were showing up, a lot of them were were garbage. You know, those mangled characters, the quality was really bad. And of course, since they were free. People didn't really care. You know, I'll show my stuff. And if it looks messy, then I'm not really bothered. You know, it's not costing me anything. But Google won't sit still for that because it tarnishes their situation. So they forced people to tidy up what they were doing um, and hit them in the wallet at the same time with with their approach. And, of course, it worked.
0: Right. Yeah, I remember at the time I was at uh, Kenshu, which is, you know, a search platform that specializes Mm. in kind of retail and e-commerce. And they run... I forget, 30 of the Fortune 50 or some giant number of uh, the biggest companies. You'll see in the my
1: world. wife yeah. behind me now. She's snuck into the office to get something. I'm not quite sure what the She
0: wants to be on the show. Well, that's, how does she feel she's about on being the show now? Uh, one of the only two employees at <laughs> the agency? running out the door now.
1: running out the door now. Sorry. About so I was just yeah, saying, so catch me. Yeah,
0: it was. Um, you know, an interesting time, right? Because we ran all the biggest retail campaigns for, you know, name a big retailer, and we were running their campaign. And when okay. Google Shopping hit, you had all these people that were doing feed management for for years, and then you had all the search platforms like, you know, Marin and, uh, and mm-hmm. Kenshu. And then there was this battle over who was going to get to run the client's campaign because the shopping folks mm-hmm. would say, "Yeah, you don't understand feed management and feed optimization, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, image decay." And we'd say as the search platforms yeah you don't understand quality score and all the <laughs> stuff you need to do to run yeah. a successful search campaign and we both yeah. kind of would tell the client like yeah you know well, we'll be running your shopping campaigns which i think you could i think the verdict is out that most of the feed companies are now trying to pivot into something more useful um because the feed management well, that's an interesting very narrow
1: yeah that, that's an interesting um interesting observation I, I speak to feed management companies. There's several I have um, some relationships with over here. And they are often terrified to death of search. They don't understand it. They don't know how to work with it. They just specialize in the feed management side of things and the shopping management side of things. And they don't want to touch search and other things going on. And it's a bit ridiculous because they are so completely complementary to each other. You know, you figure search queries out from your your shopping and your your DSA and and what have you, and you can apply those in your search campaigns and so forth. They cross pollinate each other all the time, so they they they're completely symbiotic with each other. But feed management companies are in the situation where they won't get involved with search, and this leaves the um this leaves the poor customer, the client, hanging in the wind because he's got to get searched on. Um, he's got his shopping handled from the feed side of the feed management side of it, but he's got to get search done as well. And then he's got to find the right search agency. And you just get so bad results from search agencies, and, and particularly in e commerce, because so many of them don't really understand the nature of it.
0: Right. Well, so, and it's super complicated. I always, whenever uh, folks, so I think. Uh, who are some good examples? Hootsuite. So people in other spaces sometimes want to get into search and they talk about it like it's we're just gonna get into search. But I mean if you're a, a API partner of AdWords, you know how much work goes in the maintaining the AdWords oh, API. Yeah. So that's yeah. not something that, that happens lately. But I hear it all the time in the content world. So folks like Hootsuite or HubSpot or people who are who do you know a wonderful job managing content for people who push content out to you know Facebook, LinkedIn, yeah. Twitter, et cetera. And they help them manage their blog and lead flow, et cetera uh, want to move over to to paid and they i haven 't seen anyone really do it well yet. I think there's yeah. a few people that have been doing these little like promote your post you know via a paid campaign but yeah. it's you know, the search is too complex, so you really need to understand the complexity but.
1: very true and um, <clears throat> excuse me, even in e commerce physical e commerce, we are seeing you know in the different kinds of verticals. Some things are much more straightforward to work with than others. So for instance, um, I've worked with suppliers of things like either directly myself with with my own clients or with associates who are, you know, we're looking at their clients. So things like mobile phones, printers, technology type things, they've got very specific makes and model numbers, and these are great buying keywords. And very often, the only way you are going to sell your product is from a make and model query. Whereas um, I've uh, recently started work with uh, somebody who's in the, um, the, the toy space, the hobby kind of space, and it's much more challenging because the, the titles of these products are, are more generic. They're, they're not specific makes and model numbers of things like a, you know, a Samsung Galaxy S6 or something like that. It's a, it's a remote control uh, Airbus aircraft. And these are less, they're more category-type um, searches. And what we're discovering, I have a, I have a great colleague uh, based out in uh, Romania, of all places, and we are, the two of us, doing a lot of research into this whole relationship between categories and keywords, search queries, because a category encompasses search queries, and a search query encompasses categories. So, for instance, if you sell... Something like an HP XYZ123, you know, uh, generic sort of uh, printer. That printer has got a make and model number, and that's a good buying keyword for it. Um, and it's got associated search queries like review, toner, ink, yada yada, that, those kinds of things. But Google knows that an HP XYZ123 printer is also a mono printer, it's also a MFP multifunction printer. It's also a network printer or an AirPrint printer or something like that. So then you'll start seeing in your search queries for shopping campaigns and uh, and DSA campaigns, which are automated. You'll see these category type keywords that Google has matched to your printer because it is one of those kinds of printers. But you won't get sales from those kinds of category type uh, searches. They just don't convert. People are still doing the research. They don't know what they what they want yet. Right. Hmm. very interesting um, well, what we're well, covering some of this.
0: Yeah, and this is actually a good, a good segue into maybe talking in a bit more detail. Um, yeah, you're sure. starting to touch on some, some of these topics like um, strategies for managing categories and shopping. So um, hmm. maybe you could start by just, if I'm, if, yeah, I'm doing AdWords and um, I'm in retail and I know I need to do a shopping campaign, um, do you have... Kind of the basic structure of a shopping campaign that you usually recommend to folks who are going to run shopping yeah. campaigns or is there a process you use to get to some type of structure
1: yeah very much so i mean i'm a very organized very structured very process driven person that's just me i'm an engineer and that's the way i like to work and you know um i like to be able to replicate things so if I'm given something to, to figure out and fix and I, I need to build a system for it rather than just figuring out and fixing it. So the approach that we've developed and it's changed a bit over time because Google um, had quite a decent situation to begin with, with product listing ad campaigns and then they completely broke it by turning them into shopping campaigns. And they've they've morphed shopping campaigns a bit and given them extra bits and pieces that you can do. and. The key tool, the the two key tools that we use to assemble these things are um, Excel spreadsheets. Uh, You could use Google Docs Um, and AdWords Editor. And I've been a a user of AdWords Editor like forever. And I can make it do stuff that uh, people probably don't even suspect it's remotely capable of. And I constantly criticize the product managers at, at Google to give us stuff in Editor that isn't there, which is brain dead stupid and it's missing like you can't see any UV conversion values. And therefore you can't see your return on ad spend. Yeah, I was
0: going to say, yeah, give us your list of uh, what's the three things that he really wants to see from the AdWords side
1: Oh, the most important thing is the conversion value, the total conversion value and the uh, conversion value divided by cost, which is the return on ad spend. And that's the key metric that I work with for profitability. So um, when we basically, when we put a pound into the shopping campaign, we want to see at least five back. Or dollars. Um, and that shows up in the return on ad spend, which is a column you can just turn. There's lots of columns you can turn on, which aren't turned on by default. So I have a set of columns that I go in and switch on, which gives me an immediate overview of what's what's happening. First thing I look at is the return on ad spend. The next thing I look at is the impression share for rank. Because if you're doing it right, you are, uh, you know, very high unlimited daily budgets and accelerated ad delivery. And you're buying every click you can get because your return on ad spend is positive. So... To to achieve that, though, and to manage that for products in your, uh, you know, in your in your store means that you've got to be able to slice and dice and segment stuff inside the shopping campaign. So you can control it properly, because if you just put one ad group, even if you slice it up then into individual product groups per product, but within a single ad group, there are parameters that you cannot get out of uh, product groups And you can only get them out of ad groups. So you can only see impression share at the ad group level. You can't see it for a product group level, not an individual product anyway. I mean, you you can go with things like brands. And I I see that, um, you know, various agencies and various organizations state that you should do this or you should do that or you should or shouldn't do this or shouldn't do that or the other with shopping. And um, for me, I simply look at every individual product that the merchant has as its own profit center. So we wanna sell that product at profit. And so I put them into an individual product group inside of an individual ad group. And then I can see the two most important parameters for me, which are the return on ad spend for that product at the ad group level. And I can also see the impression share for that product. And if I've got a high return on ad spend and I'm losing impression share, I know I can safely bid up because I've got the headroom. I've got the profit to pay for that. And as long as it doesn't go below a certain return on ad spend and I might have to give away some impression share because I can't get the return on ad spend that I want. So you, know, you just have to live with that. The ideal situation for any campaign, for any any piece of any campaign is um, profitable return on ad spend with 100 percent impression share, accelerated delivery, unlimited budgets. We want everything that's going out there. And that's that's how I build the stuff that I build right from the beginning because I realized after working with all this stuff that you can do it.
0: And that's, so for folks who aren't super familiar with shopping campaigns, um, if you know AdWords, you know there's a basic structure of a campaign. Within the campaign, you have ad groups. And then traditionally, if you're not doing shopping, within the ad groups, you have ads. And those ads are targeted generally based on keywords and then a bunch of other stuff like geography, mobile, desktop, et cetera. So if that's your standard campaign uh, structure, You know, shopping came along and introduced this concept of a product group. Hmm. So you can upload or you can connect your campaign to your Google Merchant Center, which contains a list of all your products. And that list of products also has uh, various attributes. So you, uh, you know, upload a product like um, a shirt, and then it has a color and a size and a brand. And then there's also some generic information that Google can assign it. So you can tell Google what category it fits into based on some giant you know, taxonomy of of um, products yeah. that Google maintains. Yeah. Um, and then there's probably some other things, you know, price, tax, discount. Uh, there's other pieces you can put in that feed. Um, and then the, the basic, and your dog agrees with the <laughs>
1: strategy. the dog barking in the background. There's one, <laughs> that's okay. there's one kicked up outside, <laughs> so crazy. so I was just joined in, and that's what I was looking uh, for, just to make sure she wasn't going to come dashing into the room. <laughs>
0: Uh, she loves Google Shopping. <laughs> um, so the you have all these attributes in the spreadsheet that you're managing that's getting uploaded to the Merchant Center. And what Google will tell you to do, which David uh, has kind of this improved approach, but what Google will tell you to do is just upload that spreadsheet. It has all your products, um, You know, create a campaign and ad group in AdWords, and just kind of connect the two. And Google will actually tell you probably just to run it like that with no separation between your products. And when you start to see some performance, then you can start to use some of those attributes in your product feed to break up the different products into what they call product groups. So I might, if I uploaded my shirts, I might have Nike and Adidas shirts in there. And so at some point I might say, you know what, I want to split out my products into groups based on brand. So if I have 10 brands, I'll now have 10 product groups but the product group is not an actual entity. It, it doesn't exist in Google's kind of system. So you don't get to see and take action on a product group the same way you would an ad group. So there's some limitations. Yes. Um, and it's more just a filter of your data, right? Yeah. So I think that's a good foundational knowledge for folks who are maybe just figuring out shopping campaigns and who, who might do that. They just upload you know, their, their list and run a single yeah. ad group. So now based on that, David, clearly you're saying you prefer much more transparency because you view each product as its own profit center and you want to make sure that product itself is yeah. profitable. Yeah. Um, so, so maybe touch a little bit more on what were the pieces you said you don't get at the product group level that you do get at the ad group level and are the critical reasons you put every product at its own ad group?
1: Yeah, the main thing is impression share. So if you have got, let's take this... Uh, single ad group situation that you could start off with, and you've then you've gone off and you've 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 split out all your product groups into 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 individual products. At the very least, with that, you can manage your bids for uh, profitability as long as you are. This is it all. It goes without saying. In in all of these situations, we are tracking our revenue. That's the very 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 first thing I look at with any new client. The possibility of working with them or sorting the situation out or whatever it is, are we tracking the sales revenue values back into the AdWords campaigns? And you can do that from analytics or my preference at least to get started to keep it simpler is to do the dynamic conversion tracking um, Set up, and that varies across merchants because we 've all got different carts and different technologies and so forth but it 's all straightforward to do so it goes without saying that we've got we 've got the sales revenue and we can divide the sales revenue by the cost and we know the return on ad spend so we can see that return on ad spend to the individual product group level, so that 's fine, but you can 't see the impression share, not at an individual product you can if you group them like you were saying, like brands or uh, other factors other you know other uh, pieces of the taxonomy. Um, but then and it's not all bad news because you could say well okay if i am showing good return on ad spend then i could bid higher but you don't really know what that's getting you you don't know whether that is improving your impression share because you're trying to get maximum impression share always when it's working you want to show up 100% of the time if you're making profit out of it but you can't see that so yes you could just go off and put the bids up and 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 see what happened um so uh you you know you 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 can't really predict what's 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 going to come out of that um but what's worse is the um the search queries imagine going back in to the bad old days of of search campaigns before any of this e-commerce stuff came along what people would do is this they would um, they would create a campaign, they'd put a single ad group in it, and then they'd put the maximum amount of keywords, which was 2,000 at the time, back in the day uh, when it all got started. And they'd just shovel all these keywords right. into the ad group and they'd put one ad up and then be completely surprised that the thing was just not, not working. Now, you've actually got a very analogous situation going on. If you've got a single ad group with all these product groups in it, even if you've split them out individually, you have got Um, Google will will serve your ads um, for your products and you will see search queries showing up, which is every product that you've got in that ad group. And don't forget that um, several different makes and models of things are still all the same category. So for some of them, it might work and some of them, it won't. So you've got to have the ability to segregate these search queries to the product. And the only way you can do that is have an individual ad group per product.
0: Because, and just so I'm clear, because you're going to actually write keywords at the ad group level,
1: right? You, you, you'll see uh, search. Yeah. Yeah, no, you'll see search queries at, coming out of the ad group level. So let's imagine that you've got two, let's imagine you've got two different um, HP printers an HP XYZ one, two, three and an HP XYZ two, three, four. And um, so, they might both be mono, MFP, network, HP printers, right? Same categories, they are, and Google knows that. So then for two different ad groups for shopping, you could have the same category search queries showing up as search queries in those ad groups for those two devices, because they're they're similar devices category-wise, but they're completely different, makes and model numbers wise. Um, And yet you get both um, make and model number search queries showing up in those two separate ad groups. And Google, once you study this, Google does a fantastically accurate job of matching user search queries to um, makes and models of things, provided you give it enough information if your feed is in great shape. So, But you'll still see these HP, MFP, network, printer search queries showing up in those ad groups. And they're useless because they're categories and they don't sell, they don't convert. So you have to put those in as exact match negative keywords in the ad group to stop your ad showing up for your make and model of printer, which just happens to be a certain category.
0: Got yeah, and that's where I was going with um, uh, keywords. So you can, um, you can add negative keywords at the ad group level. You cannot add uh, negatives at the product level correct? Correct. So that's, so what you're doing is you're really getting into the detail of the what's converting and not converting at the specific product. Yeah. And then you're adding negatives to make sure you're kind of filtering out that search query for that particular product. Um, which if, you know, w- with your example of printers, it's um, it's a little hard to imagine, but like I'm thinking of take two shirts and one's a Nike shirt and one's a an Adidas shirt. You know, if someone's looking for a Nike shirt, they're probably not going to buy an Adidas shirt. So if you're kind of, and, or if someone puts in something more general like sports shirts, yeah, but it, you know, they're, they're probably not going to buy Nike or Adidas, or maybe they're in the research phase. So it's not going to convert yet. So I guess your point is you're really trying to refine the keyword set to be the most, uh, kind of a greatest chance to convert keywords. That's how yes, I'm absolutely.
1: And, um, and, and it makes sense, though. And, and here's some very interesting stuff that, uh, that that happens as well in terms of cross-pollination of, of other platforms. So, um, I would be. So, I I was working with a merchant who sold printers, and he'd got like seven or eight hundred printers. So, we had a campaign with an ad group per printer, and um, and a product group per printer. And when you've got hundreds, actually, that's challenging to build. You can, you can, you can more recently use adwords editor to build your ad groups and when you know in prior versions of adwords editor they, it wouldn't touch shopping campaigns and do anything with them so that was jolly tedious um but um they, they're gradually getting better with it so you can build all your ad groups uh, with adwords editor and a spreadsheet and upload those for your shopping campaign that's straightforward but then populating each individual ad group with one product group and excluding all the other product groups which you have to do obviously then you've you can only do that manually or by scripting and even with scripting for hundreds of products and let's not even go into the thousands or tens of thousands of products, but for hundreds of products uh, the script would time out the way we first did it because it runs for 30 minutes then it stops and um it, it was that lengthy of a process, even with scripting, that we had to figure out a way to make it uh smart enough to uh keep, you know, do the thing and do the thing in chunks so that it would um it would run for a bit and stop and then We could run it again and it would carry on from where it left off and and do the rest. And it it took hours (laughs) to do that for hundreds of them. Anyway, so um, so you've got that situation where you've got your ad group and your product group for a particular individual product ID, which is a make and model of something or other, say, like a printer. And um, what I was then seeing by looking in the search queries for that product group. Firstly, I was and, and that, pro, that individual product ID. Firstly, I was seeing uh, the right search queries, which are make and model numbers, very specific to that particular device. Um, I was seeing, you know, derivations of those things like reviews and consumables and toner and driver and manual and download and stuff like that. And of course, you negative those out at the campaign level because they are you know, like post-sales queries. You know, uh, we set we completely segregated consumables. Uh, from one campaign to the other because they're two totally different things uh, for this particular situation. Um, So um, then when we start seeing those search queries we can go after the campaign level ones like those which are completely toxic that are no use to us at all like downloads and what have you. Um, But then um, we were starting to see really in in some cases not all it was it was it wasn't totally common but for some um, particular products more so than others we were seeing very very long exact match search queries. So I'm talking about five, 10, 15 words in a search query, exact match. Mm. And you know what I was seeing? Right. I was seeing not just the odd one or two, I've seen hundreds of them. And, uh, and, copy and paste? Yeah, people were going to Amazon and copying for that product and copying and paste. I actually, right. I nailed it. You know, I, I got screenshots of Amazon's description uh. And it was totally lifted from, so somebody would do a search for this device, uh, see an ad, go look at it, uh, go and search on Amazon, find it, copy and paste the, 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 the description, the, t- the title rather, the product title, out of Amazon and go search on it. And they'd see our ad show up. Why? Because Google knows that this big lengthy uh, search query describes my product. Because it does, because Google knows the categorizations and the taxonomy and, and and all of these factors about the thing. So we were seeing these huge, great long, um, you know, exact match search queries in these ad groups. And they are actually a challenge to get rid of. And they weren't they weren't ever selling. You know,
0: I was going to say, so they were they didn't convert because those people had already kind of researched or maybe they saw it on Amazon and now they were going to go research to yeah. see, like look for reviews.
1: Because, yeah. because sometimes though, and in fact, we were seeing some, uh, some sales out of that. Um, but it, it was very variable situation um, because, you know, Amazon isn't always the cheapest funnily enough. And the biggest thing, yeah. I mean, e-commerce is a commodity. Products are a commodity and, You've all got the same stuff because it's the same make and model and the same MPN and all the rest of it. As a merchant, you might have a a, a different offer. You might have a different price point for the thing because you might have different volume discounts with your suppliers. So you could legitimately be selling it cheaper and make a a better offer for people with a cheaper price. But largely, the prices are all really quite similar. And, um, you know, with things like minimum advertised pricing and stuff like that, uh, the uh, the suppliers are going to say you can't discount it any more than this, otherwise you'll create this this horrible channel con- channel conflict out there for us, where all of our uh, all of our resellers are uh, running a race to the bottom and discounting this stuff, and nobody wins. So th- there's all these kinds of subtleties and opportunities in e-commerce which are really yeah. very very different.
0: Well, and that actually brings up just something to we'll talk about or think about is the so how do you stand out, right? It's, if everybody's got the same mm-hmm. price on Google Shopping and the same image and the same description, I mean, I guess those are the things you have to change. Or can you bundle products in a unique way? Does that help maybe? Or well, stand Well, it's
1: all down to the creativity of the merchant then and the offer that the merchant has. So firstly, I mean, there are some very specific parameters about a product. So uh, it's in stock. So you can have it. And And sometimes, you know, if you're in a desperate hurry for something, and we've all probably done this, uh, gone to Amazon. You, you know, I'm I'm on I'm going on holiday at the weekend and I need a new digital camera and, and I'll pay more from Amazon if it's got it in stock um, than I would from a merchant who's got it cheaper but doesn't have the stock because uh, I'm in a time frame situation. So there are these parameters that govern the purchasing decision of, of people when they buy an e-commerce stuff. So is it in stock? Can I get it? What's your shipping? Obviously, that could be an extra cost or it could be free. Uh, that's down to the merchant to decide how he handles that. Um, have you got, like you just said, have you got a bundle? Have you got a promotion? Have you got an offer of some sort that, uh, if I get, if I buy this printer for the same price from you as I can get it from somebody else, what else can I get for, you know, included, you know, uh, stationery or consumables or something like that? Um, right. th- another th- another thing about it is that these products, down to the individual level, um, have different margins. And those margins are not static. They change because products go obsolete and they have to be taken down and replaced by new ones. And then if you've got stuff on your shelf, which had a margin of 50 and you're just desperate to get rid of it because it's obsolete, you might drop your margin to 20 to just get rid of it. So the whole price consideration and the whole margin consideration, it's all it's all variable. And these are the kinds of things that are going on. So then you you can also you, you can see a situation like where um, you've got your product and you got, it's in an ad group and with a product group and you look at the performance of it and you see um, very good click through rate, for instance, because Google does do a great job, given the right data, of matching search queries to products. If you break them all out like this, so you see great click through, but you don't see conversions. So you go and look inside your ad group at the search queries and you look in there and you've negatived out all the category horrible type things that aren't buying keywords. So, you know, that's sorted out. So you look through the search queries and they're all great. They're all dead on the money. You know, they are right. your product plus review or your product plus, you know, some other word about it that's relevant or whatever. And you're like, well, what on earth's wrong with that? And and you know in the in the days now where we've got promotional ads before they go away and and they become automated, um, you've written a nice ad. You know y- you might have free shipping in there and all nice stuff about the product. So you think, what is going wrong? What? Why doesn't this thing sell? And it's purely price. Because people have they've seen you they've, they've seen your ad they've done they've done the search they've seen your ad it was correctly matched right. by Google. <laughs> they click to the page and it's just not the deal for them. So they don't buy. And you can't make them. So, And, and, this-
0: and that's, I mean, it's just to your comments before about uh, a lot of this e-commerce just feels so commoditized, right? Because there's a minimum price you can sell at. So there's probably some game of, you know, how much, can I make a buck off this or two bucks or, you know, how low is, is or how high, I guess I should say is too high so that yeah. uh, you want to be in that consideration set, but you're competing with thousands of merchants who are all probably willing to break even, maybe even lose money on it and hit that, whatever that minimum price is, yeah. that the manufacturer set.
1: And there's more, so in some ways it
0: makes it, sorry. Yeah, go, I'm just sorry. saying it must be like really hard to, unless you're, so people are either buying the price, but in many cases that's been eliminated and you're just kind of competing at the existing price floor that's been set. Um, or like they're buying your brand because, you know, if I'm on Amazon, I'm looking for prime shipping in stock and the lowest price. If you meet those three things, I don't really care who, you know, there's like 10 people and I just buy from whichever one happens to fulfill it when I click the buy button. Um, so unless someone adds a compelling bundle, like you were mentioning before, if I'm buying a printer, I get, you know, my first ink refill free or something, um, or, you know, the merchant is... The merchant's brand is that different, which I have thought of, you know, I think buying like some electronics, I will look at the brand and be like, you know, if it's like, sounds like something super shady, I will buy it. <laughs> but so if it's like a brand I know, but that's it. I mean, how else, so, I mean, you have like, you can write maybe better descriptions, but even if you write really good product information, someone just reads it and uses that to go buy it from someone else. From somewhere else, because all you do,
1: you, you educate People on how to look around and buy it for the cheapest price, which is what they're going to do. Now, even yeah. even within that conversation, if you take two different HP printers, then one of them will be a, a, a business type printer and one will be more a home based printer. And therefore, the usage of it and the potential um, obsolescence of it and the the buying of the consumables for it is all a completely different consideration. So with the office one, you're going to get through more consumables and therefore quite likely you'll want to buy those consumables from the supplier of the printer. So uh, I mean, for the longest time, HP as a manufacturer, I used to work for HP years ago. Um, I was in the IT bit rather than the the printing bit, but um, HP make printers not to make any money on them. They make all the money on the consumables, on the ink which is why printers are made so sophisticated these days that you can't spoof them and put, you know, non-make, non non-manufacturer non uh, print cartridges in them because they, they, they're chipped and they're designed that way so that you can only buy their their ink. Once, so they've got you. And that's the customer lifetime value. And so you might go into every transaction with an HBXYZ123 office-type printer, which you know is going to get you a lifetime value of, you know, whatever out of the consumables. You might go into that to... Break even or even lose money on the sale, but that's right. a consideration at the individual product level, and the product the product reseller knows his audience, he knows his marketplace, and he knows who he's selling to to inform those kinds of decisions but these are right. these are you know really interesting uh, things that you need to know about when you're in that game, you know the e commerce game of selling these makes and models of these particular things
0: right. Uh, so let me ask you one or two more questions about shopping um, because what you're talking about sounds like not complex, but like like I said before, it's take a lot of work. If you're going to set up um, all these ad groups, although editor makes it easy, but then you need to kind of connect your feed to all these ad groups and make sure the right product is in each one. How many products do you recommend doing this for, for someone who's new?
1: Well, um, you want to keep an open mind about your sales possibilities when you get started. You've got to do a bit of due diligence because if you're not in the situation of having makes and models, I mean, and this this toy this toy um, re- reseller, is in this kind of atypical situation because his stuff is is not really terribly clear in terms of makes and models. But if you are clear with your makes and models, then you can literally put everything up and and see what goes. Or you can say, well, I've got um, my top, let's let's see if I can make anything out of this with my top 10 products or my top 20 products or whatever. Those products which you've got, you know, the the, the most popular, the best margins, the best sellers, those kinds of things. So you can dip into it with a subset of things like that if you want to and just build those ad groups and turn those product groups on inside them for, you know, your, your top 20 uh, out of your hundred right. say um, and you can do that and see how it goes and then be ready to to scale up those things as uh, as the data comes in. Um, the interesting thing is though that um, I, I, and so again, some kinds of retailers some kinds of e commerce merchants have a different sort of um, animal to deal with so um, in 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 lots of cases, lots of merchants are very likely to only sell one thing to one customer. So um, I have a client who's in uh, in the auto accessory space. And um, right. if you want this particular accessory for your auto, for your make a model of auto, once you've bought it, you've bought it and you're not going to buy another one. And so they find that they just mostly sell one thing to one customer. And until you change your car, you're not going to want that thing all over again. So that is the... Right the harsh reality of, of that situation and of many other merchant situations. So people talk about and agencies talk about, marketers talk about, well, you know, once you've got the client, you can market to them again and, and all of this. But if you can only sell one thing to a customer, that, that's it. And you're stuck with it.
0: Yeah,
1: So yeah, it's a stuck. tough
0: business, too. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no LTV. <laughs> your LTV yeah. is one set.
1: One, One product. And that's the worst case scenario that I always kind of think is my baseline to work from. You know, how many how many times am I going to sell this product to a customer? Probably, worst case, one. So we've got to be profitable. We've got to have positive return on ad spend. We've got to have five ROAS or 10 ROAS or whatever it is. Um, so, but moving on from there, though, you've then got different kinds of merchants in different spaces, and I worked with an office supplier for a while, and... You know, they've got tens of thousands of of products like paper and printers and phone systems and staplers and pencils and pens and rubber bands and God alone knows what else in there. So then agencies say, you know what, you should never bid anything for your A4 paper because you ain't going to make any money on it because it's so cheap. uh, It's just not worth it. But yet that product could quite easily. What we what we saw was people would 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 be looking for something cheap like you know, paper or a, an office accessory or something like that. But you know what they frequently like 20% of the time in, in his case, it was they'd buy something bigger and more expensive. They'd upsell and we all do it. We go to Amazon and we look around, we went there for one particular thing, but we didn't buy that one particular thing. We we bought something might be a similar price, might be cheaper, might be more expensive. And so those downsell cross sell upsells situations happen. So, if you bring people in for a cheap product like A4 paper that you know you, you don't expect to make any money on, or uh, at least you could you know lifetime value. Again, if a customer opens an account, he's going to use that. It's a consumable. Is is he going to come back and over time you might recoup that and, and get your money back you know over again. But you're losing the upsell opportunity by not showing up for your paper. Now right. the data the data might not support going forward. The data might not support the profitability of it, but to start with, you've got to take that opportunity. So, and um, what I'm saying is, you can start off conservatively with you know a subset of popular stuff with good margins, um, and just go with those when once they're running and, and scale them as far as they'll go. Um, or you could, if your situation might lend itself to multiple sales opportunities, then you just don't know whether you might lose out on a good sale opportunity from something that you think you, you wouldn't be bothered, you know, be bothering to bid on.
0: Right. And the, and so just so I'm clear, so, and some of the leverage you're pulling, so let's say you take that strategy, right? And you pick you know, your top 10 best converting products. Um, and you've created your own ad groups for each one of those products. Um, and you've connected your merchant center and that, that product is, uh, in that ad group. Now you're watching the ROAS, the return on ad spend. And now you're watching impression share on the ad group level. Yeah. And what are the knobs you turn? So, like, what are the actions you take if the, you know, talk about the impression share and the return on ad spend and then what action can you take?
1: So let's say that I have a return on ad spend for 10 as it's running and I can go down as far as as low as five and the merchant's okay with that because everything I do is targeted to, you know, the merchant's return on ad spend. You can get yourself into a situation where you go for too high a return on ad spend make more money, but the volume goes down. And that can be a problem for the, uh, for the, for the reseller because he's then not selling the volume that he's contractually committed sure. to selling from his supplier. So that, that could be an issue. So um, there, where it's at 10, and I'm looking at the impression share, if I'm, and it go, goes without saying that my impression share for budget is always 100%. I don't lose any impression share for budget because it's profitable. So why would I restrict the budget? Um, it also goes without saying that I'm running accelerated delivery. So that I'm showing up for as much impression share as I can get and, uh, you know, and I'm profitable. So let's say I've got um, no loss of impression share for budget. I'm losing some impression share for rank um, and my return on ad spend is, say, 10, which is nice. I can afford to bid higher because I'm losing impression share and I want to buy that back. So I'm going to bid higher to get more ad positions and more impression share. Uh, unless and until the return on ad spend goes down to a certain point, at which point if I'm still losing impression share, I'm stuck with that. And my only situation then is to be able to increase the conversion rate of the page. And that's down to stuff outside of my control, which is the the way the page is built, the offer, the price. You know, there are some situations where, and we talked about it just now, um, you, you see great click through, but you just cannot sell this product. People won't buy it. And that is hundred percent down to you know all those things we were talking about in terms of pricing and offers and bundles and promotions and whatnot. So they just will not buy it at that price.
0: Um, so that's when you you take action on the bid. And then you mentioned negatives earlier. That's another yeah. dial you can turn.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. So again, we look inside the ad group and we dig out the search queries and we see. Is there anything in here that doesn't belong are there any category keywords that we're getting shown up for you negative those out at the ad group level because that's the product that you don't want it to show for now here's the interesting thing though um with a particular product with a particular category you might have 20 different makes and models of hp printer so because you've got them all in their own ad groups um, some of them may not sell for these category type searches but some of them might And you don't know that. So you might have these category level search queries showing up in one of your HP printers ad groups, and it might be working. So you keep it, and that's fine. And you might choose to, um, you know, go off and bid on that if you're not bidding on it already in a search campaign or whatever. But you you wouldn't exclude it if it's working. It's all down to what is working. My definition of working is return on ad spend. Right. Because it's merchants, Uh, because it's dollars in, dollars out.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, and it's uh, refreshing, I think, uh, another kind of good segue as we as we get close to wrapping up here, your agency is pretty unique in that you often negotiate uh, your fee based on what people actually sell, which is pretty rare. Yes. Exactly. Usually it's a yeah. mean fee. So um, it sounds like part of your focus, I mean, it's really aligning the incentives of both you and the client, right? If the goal is to sell yes, more yeah. profitable product for both of you. Yeah. So that's kudos yeah. to you for running that model um and if folks want to use your agency or learn more about shopping i know you wrote a book uh, not too well i don't know was it not too long ago when did you
1: yeah well it actually it actually came out late last year um so it's on amazon and uh, it's got a couple of dozen nice reviews behind it and um you can just go and go to amazon and look for my name or adwords type books on there and you'll find it um it's um it's kind of a how to thing. It's a lot of my knowledge, screenshots, data, numbers, facts, figures and stuff like this. None of this stuff is opinion. We, we make decisions on, you know, we decide with data. Uh, that's all we do. Um, because it's, um, it's a few months old now, it's, uh, it's out of date, of course, which I expected it to be. And my, um, my, um, my commitment to people is to keep updating it periodically so that it will stay uh, fresh and relevant and useful and so forth. So there's that, um, Rothwellmedia.com. Um, the site is saying things that are now not presently true. It needs overhauling, but at least you can get an idea of the kind of things I'm talking about on there. I do this commission approach to thing, and it's very deliberate because I'm trying to make an offer to merchants, which is about their profitability and the fact that they want to sell more stuff and earn more profit, and that's exactly what I want to do. Um, fixed price management doesn't take account of what goes on with the website and the conversions and the sales and the profits. And that's not good enough for merchants. Merchants need more. They want to get more stuff sold for more profit. So um, I negotiate, like you say, a percentage based commission based approach to that, which is um, I charge you a percentage of your monthly AdWords gross sales revenue, which we're recording in in the campaigns. And um, that then means that I'm looking out for ways to increase that for you. Because if I get you a pay rise, I get a pay rise.
0: Right. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. That's a brilliant approach to it. And uh, I mean, especially if I'm a retailer or I'm an online retailer, I mean, it seems like uh, kind of a no brainer, right? Why would I not get someone that's (laughs) going to only make money when I make money rather than someone's going to bill me, uh, even if things don't go well.
1: Well, this is the thing. Yeah.
0: Sorry. Yeah, no. Go ahead. Uh, make your last. I
1: was, I was just going to say, this is why I I, uh, I started to enjoy um, e commerce so much more than lead gen because we've got the data. We've we've got the we've got the numbers. We've got the conversion values and the sales revenues, and we can decide with data.
0: Yeah, Yeah, It's it's like it's refreshing being in the agency world <laughs> for over a decade, and then uh, having someone that just gets paid on commission, so... Um, well, I appreciate you taking time to drop some knowledge on Google Shopping with us. Uh, if folks want to learn more, then go to RothwellMedia.com or find your book. I'll be slightly out of date, AdWords Marketing that Pays, although I think David committed to updating it uh, in 2015. Yeah. So look for, yeah. look for a new version on Amazon. Uh So oh, thank be you, David, very much.
1: As you know, I'll be oh, speaking at the PC Hero Conference in London in October.
0: Right, so um, we'll put this on the site uh, in in early to mid-September, but you will be speaking, um, and that's in London? Yes. Conference, right. Uh, And do you know the session
1: you're speaking at? Um, They haven't given us the schedules of it yet. It's a two-day thing, so we don't know exactly when we'll be showing up and standing up.
0: Um, But it's uh, PPC Hero is the conference? Yes,
1: yeah, in London. It's the first time they've come over here.
0: Oh, right, because they've been doing it here in New York and San Francisco. And uh, AdStage actually will be on stage this week at uh, Uh, a PPC conference in New York. We so saw Jane, the founder of AdStage. So, yeah, check that out this week if you're in New York. And then in a few months, fly out to London and you can go meet David in person.
1: Excellent. All
0: right, David, thank you very much. And we'll talk to you soon.
1: Thanks. Pleasure. Thanks. Pleasure being here, Paul. Thank you.
0: All right.